Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Educator Podcast. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. We have a great show today. Tonight, we're going to be talking all about flipped learning and student-centered classrooms, and we're going to be talking about what it looks like to have a student-centered, authentic learning experience in your Google for Education classroom. We have two great guests tonight, uh, co-hosts, I should say, from the great state of Connecticut. want to bring on Rob Pennington. Rob, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. I'm doing well. Um, I'm an assistant principal in Connecticut. Excited to talk about flipped learning in in the classroom and increasing student engagement. Yeah, you're coming at this today from a slightly different point of view than you have when you were on before. Of course, you were a technology integration specialist. Now you've become an administrator. And I'm looking forward to hearing your point of view on what does instruction look like and how do we evaluate good versus not so great instruction moving forward into some of these uh, these one-to-one classrooms that are starting to spring up. Have you, have you learned a little bit as, as an administrator? Has anything opened up your eyes and made you say, wow, I wish I knew that when I was a tech coach? Um, just, I, I think that the role of supporting risk-taking, it, it's fascinating to see if, you know, if teachers feel supported to try new things, I think that that will push or can push innovation, you know, in the classroom or trying. Some things won't work and that's got to be okay. Also from the great state of California, I want to bring on our co-host, Mr. Sam Patterson. Sam, how are you tonight? I'm doing great tonight, Jeff. And uh, I know student-centered, authentic learning is right up your alley. I see that you, uh, you you had a few extra posts today on Instagram. You were doing something with aprons. Am I right about that? Yes, I figured out today how to craft a student-sized apron out of a conference tote bag. Uh, what kind of a conference tote bag was this? Was it, was it a Q conference tote bag? Was it a, 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 a literacy conference tote bag? The, the, the one I used today was actually uh, a tote bag my school had printed up, but the same idea would work for just about any tote bag. And yeah, there's a literacy one possibly in the works, and we'll see what else, because the plan is to have my second graders bring a tote bag from home, use a scene ripper to dissemble the tote bag, and then to turn it into a, um, turn it into an apron, basically. I, I saw you started to write a post on this. It was titled "So Easy a Three Year Old Can Do It." Is that true? <laughs> That's a hundred percent true, Jeff. That is pretty cool. And so today we're going to be talking all about flipped classroom, flipped learning. Um, I recently on TeacherCast put out a post all about rethinking about what flipped learning is and what the flipped classroom is. And we're going to be attaching it all to to the uh, blog post for this particular show. It was six years ago, guys, that I did a show with uh, our good friend Brett Clark from Indiana, and we talked about flipped classroom. And he said at the time that flipped classroom is essentially where a teacher takes a video, gives the student a video, and at night, the kid watches a video, and so that way they have this knowledge and they're walking into classroom all ready to go, all knowledgeable about the subject, and this teacher can spend the class time focusing on the individual students because they're not standing in front of the classroom lecturing. My, how times have changed and technology needs to be updated with that definition, right? Sam, you're shaking your head. 
Right. Well, you know, it's it's always trying to figure out how can we use technology to do things that we were not able to do before. And it turns out that one of the least efficient ways of conveying information is just to say it out loud to people. But it did get that information to a lot of receivers simultaneously. But the fidelity is really low because that information is basically one dimensional. And if it's not in a recorded media, you can't experience it again. You're at the mercy of your ability to pay ruthless attention. So we have taught people for years to try to pay ruthless attention. But it turns out that today, the way that we consume information does not require or reward us when we pay ruthless attention. And if we're looking at things today and we're looking at the way technology is, you know, I, I got to go back to the whole concept of creating and, and teachers having to create video for kids to learn. I, I, I guess I want to start with this question here. Does it have to be video that teachers create to engage students in out of classroom learning? Rob, what do you think? I don't think that it has to be video. I, I think that using even just I, I go back to Google Classroom posting a, you know some questions in a discussion board that can be you know can take the conversation outside of the classroom and it's not going to be done through video or a choose your own adventure where kids are kind of working through different tasks that may that might not have videos that might just have you know a sound clip or even text i i think that it it's not just about using video i i think it's important to really use whatever avenues you can it, it could even be a tweet it can be an instagram photo that mm -hmm. you're asking kids to respond to you know as a prompt to there, well, there's so many different things that you can use. Um, I, I, like, I like that you're giving us some ideas that are active, right? Because when I think of watch a video, my first response is, oh, yeah, and who's going to do that, right? Like you've got a class of 30 kids. Not all 30 kids are going to do it, right? I mean, I, I was I, I got to be honest. I was the kid that when the teacher said, go read your chapter in your book. Yeah, that wasn't happening. Something, something so, was going to come up. So now, one of the newer tools that I think can also change that is something like Edpuzzle, mm -hmm. where you you know it is still a video, but there's questions embedded. There's things that you can that kids can respond to, or there it's just it's a little more there, there's a little more interaction for the students instead of just hey watch this six minute video and be ready to talk about it tomorrow now sam with all the work that you're doing in stem land and also in 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 maker puppet land could you say flipped learning has to do with teachers providing activities for out of school so that way they have the hands-on stuff and again all you're doing is working one-to-one -one maybe with them on those skills but maybe they're building the puppet at home or or is that homework or is that flipped learning oh yeah that, no i think is there a difference between flipped learning and homework here i here's the thing in order for flipped learning to really realize its full potential we also have to finally put homework to bed right we Wait. don't need homework anymore period and what flipped learning actually ends up being is about teaching with more resources than we've used before wait, wait, wait. because what i want to do 
with flipped learning is I want to support asynchronous learning inside of my classroom. The students are all learning at the same time and they're learning different things and I'm supporting all of them through video, through resources, and what I'm helping them learn how to do is I'm helping them learn how to learn in today's knowledge economy. Okay, so wait a minute. You're teaching them how to learn. You don't want to give homework, but you still want to make them do things outside of class. And I think this is one of those things that I was struggling with when I was writing the post and what I've been thinking about some of the work we're going to be doing this oh, year Wait, school. wait. Why, why do we want to make them do things out of class? I actually never want to make them do anything. So how do you flip your... Cl- okay, talk, talk to us, Sam. <laughs> Well, flipping class doesn't require you to suddenly give homework. If you're a teacher who says, you know what, the institution of homework is actually detrimental to my personal family. So why would I inflict that on other families? Even if I feel like there's some sort of obligation, I'm going to check into the research and you check into the research and you see that homework, unless you're talking about like college level studying of content to become an expert in a field, homework for the sake of or homework for a certain amount of time every night to develop a readiness for homework is not supported by research. It's not one of those strategies that has enough return on it for us to actually justify it. Now, once you you have that knowledge in your head and then you look at the flip class model, you can say, oh, what this means is that instead of flipping anything, there's no diametric opposition here. I'm simply decentralizing the authority and the knowledge in my class. And I'm teaching them to learn from the same places I learn from. And what I'm teaching them isn't content. What I'm teaching them is form. I'm teaching them a form of learning. So we're talking today about decentralizing learning. We're talking about, as Sam just put it, putting a form of learning in there. We're talking about creating student-centered, authentic, engaging learning experiences. We have looked high and wide for an expert in all of these wonderful things. And we found somebody who is not only an expert, this person is a director of instructional technology and is a master on this subject. Why, it's our own Jennifer Judkins. How are you today, Jen? I am not a master of this subject. I am totally here to just chat with you guys. And um, this is a great topic. So it's interesting what you were just saying, though, Sam, about the homework piece, because the district that I just joined. So, um, you know, with my new role here, I'm coming into a different learning community and hearing their um, real push this year after having done a year of research in some of their buildings around homework and the importance of it or or what is a perceived efficacy of homework and finding that in fact as you have um have said there is no value added and um and so it was great because that that information informed a change in how we view homework and and a change in policy to say homework is not required in what is a high performing district where you know they want to make sure their kids have every advantage but we also want to de-stress kids right Right. So it was just great. It's kind of interesting to hear you guys talk about this when our district, this this um, this homework policy was a major shift in thinking, because I think we just we've always done it this way. We give homework to teach kids responsibility like we have all these reasons why we justify it, but it's not helping anything. Right. And it'll be interesting to hear how that goes, because in my experience, that can be a difficult transition for a lot of members of a community. Yeah, a lot of and, families. Yeah. 
And teachers, I think we feel like, well, it, it's saying I don't value my subject if I don't send you home to learn more about it. But it's a, it's definitely a shift in thinking to to reframe that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they follow up as a leadership team and and help help teachers feel free to to follow that new policy and to not feel obligated to assign homework that you know where they've traditionally assumed that they're expected to. And one one of the things that I thought was interesting that you said is, you know, I don't th- I don't know if homework teaches responsibility. If you want to teach responsibility, teach responsibility, right? Not not just you know giving homework and having it under the guise of well we're teaching responsibility because you have to do it. Well, right, I, right. I don't know if those two are that's two very different things. But I think that it would you agree um, that the perception is there? You know what oh, I mean, Rob? 100%, like that, one hundred percent. Kind of feel like that's what they're doing. Like yes, um, and and the practice, the importance of the practice. But um, so I just in in joining in the conversation, I have you guys started to talk a little bit about the difference between the concept of flipped learning and the blended learning model, and how those are different and and which you're sort of like promoting in your districts? I think one has puppets, doesn't it, Sam? <laughs> you know, you know. Th- I think this is actually a good opportunity to clarify that because y- what I was talking about earlier is kind of my own fringe, you know, adaptation of, you know, flipped instruction. And, you know, that that's, you know, how I approach all of these things. It's like, oh, I'm going to grab this, this, and this out of it, but then I'm going to turn it to this because I run a very particular workshop style classroom that doesn't give grades. So there's a lot of choice that I have in a lot of agency I have as an individual teacher that, you know, oftentimes teachers don't have. So if you're in a a situation that says, oh, we have a, a blended learning model versus a situation that's a flipped learning model. Um, when I hear those two, I think of blended learning as something where you're learning not only, face-to-face, but also using video, and this may be synchronous and inclusive of asynchronous learning. Asynchronous meaning you're watching a video or going through some content, uh, listening to a podcast, etc., and then somehow responding to that at a time when other people may not be doing that. But synchronous may be more of a traditional instruction. Now, even when I think of flipped learning, I think of it as a continuum of blended learning, but mm-hmm. if you're going to pit one against the other, then flipped learning, I think, would have all of the aspects of blended learning, but without that face-to-face part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I guess I, I have always sort of, and, and I I don't need to hold hard and fast to definitions, but when I, when I think about blended learning, it's more of that student agency piece and more um, what's happening in the classroom environment as opposed to flipped learning is sort of pushing out some of that learning to you know, that might have been traditional lecture style learning to, uh, you know, a homework alternative or or for kids to learn at their own pace. Um, But, But, you know, it it, it, in in your description of it there, I heard like the offshoring of education, right? Like we're going to take this horrible model and we're going to package it into videos and we're going to make you answer a quiz on it, right? We're going to make you listen to the lecture. Just right? It's, it's, we're not, we're not going to have to look at you anymore when you do it, right? And if you don't do it, we don't have to feel bad about it because we can say you had that choice. But I want to backtrack a little bit. You, um, 
you said student agency and blended learning and i want you to kind of spell out for us a little bit more about how blended learning supports student agency as you're describing it so in my mind the the reason why student agency is well supported in blended learning is because we're empowering students to to take perhaps like curated resources that that as as teachers we're providing students these curated resources that support learning and support students kind of diving deeper into aspects of the learning that are, are of interest to them um, so we're kind of like building this library of resources not necessarily video could be websites or other kinds of ways that they might enrich their learning um, and so I feel like that gives students more choice in their learning and, and the directions they want to take and the depth that they want to go in certain areas. Okay. Is that like, does that mirror like you're thinking about that or? Yeah, I like that a lot. And, um, you know, at looking at those two, yeah, you've got flipped learning, which may still only have one script. It's just, you know, a different way of running through that script and blended learning as you're talking about is much more of a you know choice-based approach and i think that's a lot more of what i'm doing where you know we have a lot of resources and you can use any of them that you like or like many of my students you can choose to ignore all resources completely and do it however you see fit mm -hmm. i definitely um just to add to that i i, I see that the flipped can be part of a blended learning Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that I think um, when if you're looking at the two blended learning, I mean, you can do without flipping your classroom. You know, it's you can have things that kids are working on outside of school that is not flipped learning, but it's part of your blended learning environment. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, one of the things I've been reading, so I've been reading a book, um, which maybe you have also read um, blended using a disruptive using disruptive ed education to improve schools it's uh, Michael Horn uh, and and so what's terribly exciting and kind of a side note is apparently Michael Horn is a resident in the town that I am now working in and I just was invited to meet with him and my superintendent so I'm super excited about this um, but you know that one of the, the the models that they talk about a lot in the book that he's he has ab about blended learning is the the station rotation model where where your you know students are moving through different um, you know they're rotating through different learning modalities like like different options for their learning and they're working in small groups and there might be like some pencil and paper but they might also be some online, there might be some small group discussion, there might be whole class discussion. And I think what's really great about it is it's, it supports all the things we're trying to do right now in, under one umbrella, which is, you know, differentiating our instruction and, and providing, you know, um, different opportunities for students to express themselves in different ways and um, providing more face time in small groups with teachers as opposed to whole class instruction. So it's, you know, I think there, there are a lot more schools that are looking at this and, and, and for us as tech coaches, like in our role in schools to be able to show the other teachers, like the, how technology can facilitate this way of learning is, you know, that's one of the 
reasons why I think we're all so passionate about technology is we get, there's these new ways of, of operating in our classrooms that weren't perceived, you know, weren't possible without the ability to, for example, curating all of these things digitally for students to access and, and work through on their own and collaborate and, and all that in real time. Let's take a look at some of the things that we can do when we are doing blended activities and when we're flipping. I, I, I recently did a, a workshop on Google Sites. I know everyone here is using Google Sites with their schools. Um, is, it, is it at this point the best way to curate your content for your kids? Are there other e-portfolio type things where if a teacher is creating videos, if they're creating stuff for their classrooms... Where are where do you guys suggest people go to put and create those online worlds so that way kids can go to them and access them? I think it depends on what you're using. Um, you know, if you're using a learning management system, that would be the place where people would go to put these things, something like Schoology or an Edmodo um, or Canva. Uh, these are Canvas. These are all things that where you can curate and put things. Google, Google Sites are perfect. It's easy. You can put everything you need there for your students to access. But I think it really depends on what you're using as a classroom teacher or, or even for myself. I mean, I flipped a fa faculty meeting where, yes, it was a video and they watched the video. And then when we were together, it was more about conversations. I mean, one of the things that I've been promoting with teachers is, you know, you were asking Jeff about like, what is like the way that you format them and where LMSs might change from year to year. I think, you know, trying to encourage teachers to, to use um, platforms that might be a little bit more consistent. Like if they were to change a district and go to a district that maybe doesn't have that format. Um, I feel like a lot of teachers have found that, using more of a hyperdocs model is helpful to them as an option. Um, I, you know, it certainly depends on what your school is encouraging or promoting, but you know, you can, you can take resources that are coming from lots of different places and, and curate them into a, you know, single document. And then that's a little easier to move around and share out with kids and share with colleagues. Um, but that's that's one of the things that we've been promoting. Sam, when you're creating all of your resources and stuff for your kids, I mean, you're, you're dealing with STEM, you're dealing with puppetry, you're dealing with uh, sewing materials. What do you use to provide for your students? MySpace. I got started on it years ago, and gosh darn it, I like it. <laughs> you, can, you can take my liberty but you can't take my space if, um, if you're driving out there and just ran off the road i apologize <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's um, at i, I use uh google sites a great deal and i also use google classroom to put the links where the kids can find them and we get a lot of stuff done inside of google drive and google classroom and you find that that's the easiest for your kids to access Yes, because it's right there and they know where it is and they don't have to spend, you know, anytime my kids are looking for things, they could be finding something else. And gosh darn it, they do.
So here's the question for us. We, we know as, as, as instructors, as in tech, tech coaches and, and all the different things, we know some of this stuff comes easy to us. You know, making a video for Sam, he does that every single day. So for him to create a flipped learning video that maybe shows how to cut a, a puppet up or how to play with a, a robot car, that's just easy for him. What can we do as technology coaches or directors of instructional technology, I should say, to encourage this with other teachers when the other teachers might look at this and say, oh, this is a lot of work. This is hard. I can't do this. How do we motivate people to actually realize that sometimes these projects take a little bit of time on the front end, but you're going to have a lot better product at the, at, you know, during the process here? I think I said that right. I think you have to start with why. Why are we doing this? Um, I think they need a lot, a lot of support um, through the process, and that comes from administration. It comes from the tech coach uh, as much as possible. And when things don't go right, well, what do we need to do to fix it? Not so much from a, you know, well, this is too much, but okay, so this is what we've done, what worked, what didn't. So that constant assessing of how's it going and celebrating short-term wins, I think, is really important. I think that if, if a teacher is going to take this on, um, number one, they have to know why they're doing it. What What is the benefit? And, and then just really making these small-term wins, I think that that could just keep give them the energy to keep going with it because some teachers who have say flipped their classroom once they've done it they've they've been doing it for years because they believe in it and they see results but it's also important to know that this isn't like you know i think at the beginning of flip classroom there was this idea that oh i could make a series of videos and then i would never have to make those videos again like that's just not the way it is at all. You are always making new videos. Like none of the content is evergreen because you learn that your kids always need different stuff. And every group of kids is different. Yep. And as soon as you make that video, Google changes the color of the start button on the upper left-hand side of Google Drive. Not that I'm saying I did it 30 times. Right. Well, that's why you also try to avoid making very, very, very specific videos. Right. <laughs> Well, and I think, you know, not striving for perfection when it comes to those kinds of things. I, I, you know, if I wanted every video I made to be perfect, then I would never okay. finish. No any videos. Yes. Right. Like, yeah. amen, brother. I mean, I can't. The only way. <laughs> you just have to get past that. And I think it's important to model that for our kids to say, okay, you know, th this is what we do. You know, I, when, when I've done video production with kids, you know, projects, you we don't have the class time for them to spend three weeks getting the sound perfect and video transitions and stuff. It's like, okay, you did your hard work of getting the, the information together. You have that to share. And, and if you giggle in the middle of the video, like, fine, just keep going. Like I, I, I knew that you, I, I only gave you one class period and I'm going to grade you accordingly. Like that's right. I, I think we want kids to, to also not have that hang up. But I think as teachers, we, we feel like, okay, well, we're supposed to be modeling. It's supposed to be perfect, but it's not because 
We don't have that kind you, of time. And as you said, you're going to make so many of these, you need to get past that. Right. And if you could make perfect videos, what are you doing teaching? You should be a video right. making person. So you're <laughs> going to do the best you job it. you can with the tools you have. And it, I, I swear, if there's one piece of self-hypnosis that can make every teacher in the world a better teacher, it's that import, it's important to model the process, right? You get up there and you do a pretty good job and they get that, hey, this is all almost perfect. And they see that it isn't and they see that the world didn't end and it's fine, right? Like I got a teacher that can't sing and makes corny videos. It, the world is not going to end. Yeah. And keeping them short, like, like to Rob's point, like you need to focus on the, sh the, the small wins and that can look like a lot of things. And one of them is you're not making a 30 minute video. First of all, your kids don't want to watch it, please, for the love of God. Nobody, and nobody. secondly, you're going to make, it's going to be really hard to feel good about a 30 minute video. You can remake a three minute video like five times and still not spend a ton of time on it. So like, like thinking small, both in the scope of the project, like, like Rob has alluded to, but also just in the specific video content that you're creating, like keep it small, keep it short. And I think that also is helpful for kids because the, these are, these turn into great resources for our students and if we can chunk those out in, a, in an a interactive table of contents, so when it's time to study, they don't have to scroll through five minutes of video to find the one part that they needed help with. It, it you know, helps to target their review and their use of that information, too. Right. What a great topic here tonight. I, there's a lot of neat things that are going on here. Um, so as, as we're kind of closing up here, what advice, Jen, as a brand new technology director uh jen help me out here and by the way i i didn't get a chance to say it earlier but congratulations for a, 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 this wonderful new can you yes. tell us a little bit about what you're doing so i am the new director of instructional technology for lexington public schools which is in kentucky a fantastic school district in massachusetts oh massachusetts yeah and it's much bigger than my previous district their high school is the size of my last district so i, I moved from a district of 2200 students to a district of 7500 students and i'll be managing a staff of about 25 people on the technology side and the instructional and the its side like the tech coaches which is really exciting to be able to have a, a, an ability to be interacting with both of those groups of people who you know, contribute in different ways, but all important ways to the what is ultimately hopefully a fantastic learning experience for our kids. So I'm really excited about it. Very Nothing historic ever happened there, right? <laughs> Nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Lexington, Concord, don't know anything about those places that are right next door to each other. Yeah. No. Those are cars, right? Right. <laughs> I think that's the new Toyota, the Lexington. <laughs> Sam, what, I, I wanted to wrap up with something that you were mentioning, which is you, you do this puppet thing. And sometimes it takes more than one camera, more than one setup just to create stuff for your kids. Mm -hmm, Talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit about what you do there when you're trying to make these videos for people that are, as, as Jen had said, you're not making professional content, but it does need to look a certain way because <laughs> if it doesn't, it just doesn't work. Well, I have um, perhaps the most expensive camera system ever, my phone. They charge me so much for this thing. Um, but the good news is it does make pretty good video. Um, so 
I even when I'm doing the fairly complicated puppets tell joke stuff, it's almost all using my phone and my laptop. So I will record part of the content. I make the audio first on my phone and then I put that on my laptop and I play it from my laptop and I make the video recording on my phone using the audio from my laptop. So then they'll actually line up all of my secrets right there. And what do you use for editing? I use Camtasia by TechSmith. Are there any other products that you'd like to plug? Because I, I, I do want to wrap up here with everybody saying, you know, what, what, is your, what are your products of choice? What are your apps of choice? So, so um, it, plug it away is, here. I, I do love Camtasia. I've used them for years, and they get more and more capable. And my main reason that I am a total Camtasia fanboy is they make captioning so easy. I can get a caption file out of there that is fully compliant to all of the standards, automatically works really well with YouTube and allows me to do really great work for all of my students. Nice. Rob, do you have any uh, apps or technology of choice when creating videos, when, when doing this types of stuff? So there's a couple different things I've used. Um, I use Camtasia as well, but I've also used iMovie iMovie is a you know it's a, a great tool that is easy with uh, with a Mac. Um, I've also used you you know YouTube, where it's just you're streaming right to YouTube, and um, you know it's it's right on the phone. And then if, that, if I needed a quick something up right away, I think it's YouTube Editor. I'm not. Let me see the. Yeah. Answer. Did you hear that? That's uh that that's gonna last only until I think September twentieth is when they're gonna be killing that one off. Unfortunately. YouTube Capture. Uh, the YouTube Video Editor they announced this week is going to be going away. Uh, but the one yeah. the one I use on my phone is Google called Google Giveth and Google Taketh away. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> but YouTube Capture is nice because um, if you use it on your phone, it'll go right to YouTube. And if you need like a quick video, that's something that I've used in the past. That is not, that's a, a great little tool. Well, and it makes you wonder what, you know, what are they making room for at YouTube, right? There's been a lot of stuff recently released about creating better live content for YouTube and, you know, community engagement around live content. Um, they redid comments, they redid notifications. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenging environment to put a class into anyway. Um, so it could be that the YouTube editor going away just helps teachers make better decisions about not putting their kids on YouTube. I don't know. <laughs> Jennifer, do you have any, uh, you, you make a lot of screencasts. What do you use? I do. And I am a PC girl. I use, um, I use Screencast-O-Matic, which is, has a web-based version, but also a downloadable version, oh. and find it to be super easy to use. It will allow me to do some basic editing and transitions, and I can um, upload right from the tool into YouTube or save it uh, you know, on my Google Drive or anywhere else. So that works for me. And then I'll just quickly plug one other one that is not video-related, but for doing like um, instructional like handout materials. I really like to use Clarify hmm. it, um, which kind of addresses like the point you said before about how screens change and stuff when you're trying to make like step-by-step -step directions, because what's great is the, the annotations can stay and you can reshoot the screen 
to, to like put underneath that again. So it's, it's really great for all the Google app stuff that I make when the screens change on a regular basis. Nice. I don't have to create it all over again. And uh, Screencastify, I, I, I think I remember. That, is that also a Chrome extension? Or? No, no. So I, I'm sorry. If I said that, I Screen, meant to say Screencast-O-Matic. Yep. Screencast-O-Matic. Okay. So is that, is that, that's just a downloadable online thing? I mean, that's not a Chrome extension, or is it? It's available in two forms. So you can do a downloadable version um, and run it locally, or there is a web-based version. So there's a free and a pro version. I pay for the pro version because I use it so much, but um, I used the free version for a while, um, and, and the pro version isn't that much. I want to say it's like $40 a year or something, um, but works well for me. Sweet. I've also used Snagit. Um, Snagit's another product that is, if you're not looking to do too much uh, in the editing portion, Snagit works well. Nice. And we are going to be having our friends from TechSmith come on the show sometime uh, between now. We don't have a date yet, Seth, but we are going to be having our friend Jason come on at some point over the summertime as we look in. Um, as far as stuff that I use, I, I am a big fan of Camtasia, just like Sam said. I love the tel- uh, the, uh, the, the, the TechSmith products. Um, I'm also interested in seeing what's going on our friends over at Telestream. Um, they have a brand new product uh, of ScreenFlow coming out. I'm actually going to be getting a chance to check that out over the next couple days and do some beta testing. You're going to see a product review of, of uh, Telestream's ScreenFlow version 7 coming out. And uh, while at ISTE, I had a chance to meet uh, the team over at Padcaster. Uh, Padcaster is a really cool rig that helps you uh, put your iPad um, and phone onto a tripod. So we're going to be doing a lot of work with that over the summertime. I had my chance to get my hands on a, on a Padcaster kit. So we're going to be talking about how to make flipped classroom and, and authentic videos using uh, using that kind of stuff. So lots of good stuff here, guys. Thank you so much for coming out tonight for the show. And thank you guys for listening. Jen, where can we find uh, all the great stuff that you're doing these days? I'm online at teachingforward.net and on Twitter at teachingforward. Rob, have it yourself. Find me on Twitter at Rob Pennington 9. Sam. I'm at mypaperlessclassroom.com. One of the top 50 educational blogs. According to the blah, blah, the blah, blah, blah. And of course, thank you guys out there for taking your time tonight to make TeacherCast the home for your professional development. This is the Tech Educator Podcast. My name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.